This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello, welcome back. Another episode and another season for the Championship Chat Podcast. Hope you've had a good summer. George, how are you? I'm very well, mate. All the all the better for seeing you and being able to chat ch- championship football with you. How's things? Yes, good, thank you. It's been quite a busy summer for me. Got married, um, went to Wembley the day after I got married. Little one's six months old. Um, so yeah, quite a lot's gone on in the last few months for me, whilst we've been taking a little bit of a break, recharging the old batteries for the new season. Very excited. We've got, just to give people a little uh, bit of a breakdown of what's going on, so we've got podcast today where we're going to just try and bring things up that have gone across the summer, mainly managerial changes, just, you know, loosen, uh, get the the cogs moving again for us in podcasting terms. And then next week, next Monday, seven days on from when you're listening to this, um, we will have the championship one to 24s. I'm going to say very early doors that I am very much struggling this year. I've got a good idea of what my bottom sort of five or six will be. Upwards from that, honestly, it could change so much in the next week, depending on transfers. And I tweeted something similar that it just feels, George, that there's so many teams that have got so much still to do because we've not seen any movement with Premier League loans barely at this point, which is obviously a huge part of the diet of championship clubs in the transfer market at the moment, specifically since COVID, with the lack of funds in the division generally. It's like its own mini market at the moment. So I still feel like so many clubs have got so much to do. And my opinions will change so much, I think, even in the next week and 10 days, never mind, you know, between. We're going to have to record them, obviously, and do them before the season starts. But, I mean, we'd be better doing a revised version at the end of the window, to be honest. Yeah, quite possibly, to be fair. The, you know, there's been obviously a, a good flurry of transfer activity, but like you mentioned there, the Premier League loan signings, there's not been, a, not been a lot of that so far. There's been one or two here and there, but nothing in terms of, you know, big name signings on loan deals so far. Like last year, we saw obviously the likes of Teller go to Burnley and McAtee and, and Doyle go to Sheffield United. But in terms of, you know, loanees of that standard, we've not really seen anything as of yet, even though obviously there's been a good flurry of transfer activity throughout the division. But you'd always say that the best business is still to come. Absolutely. I, I think so anyway. So on today's pod, I say we're going to just go through some of the headlines you may have missed over the summer, certainly in terms of managerial movements, which there have been quite a few. Delighted to say that for the new season, we will once again be sponsored by Cards Accepted. So a massive thank you to them for supporting the podcast. It helps me and George spend the time necessary to to really commit to the podcast on top of our full-time jobs and have a real crack at covering these leagues as, as in-depth as we can on the podcast. So a massive thank you to having them. If you do want to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you go and visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all SumUp devices. So go and check them out. Massive thank you to the team there for sponsoring the podcast again this season. And make sure if you're not already, you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at chat and chat pod 24 well over 12 and a half thousand followers now wanting to continue to grow that into the new season. Uh, thank you to everyone that's given the support on, on the Twitter page in particular, which is flying at the moment. So we want to make sure we keep building that and bringing you the best championship content. So if you want regular insight and the latest transfer news and 
managerial movements, make sure you go in and following us on there too. And as I say, on the next hour or so, we're going to be bringing you all the biggest headlines from the summer and looking at all the latest managerial changes. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we're in a relatively rare situation where all three of the Premier League relegated sides have got new managers. They're all going to be unknown quantities to a certain extent. I suppose whenever a team comes down from the Premier League, there's always major surgery, big exodus of players usually. So you never know exactly how a team's going to adapt. But we've got the added wrinkle this year of all three teams having brand new managers and interesting fits, I think. All gone slightly different styles in terms of trying to get back up at the first attempt, which is what, of course, the primary objective for any side that comes straight down from the the Premier League into the Championship. The main aim is, can we get back up at the first first attempt, the first time of asking? We'll start with Leicester City, who are probably the most surprising of the three teams to get relegated, certainly the one that we'd have least expected at the start of last season. And Enzo Maresca is the new man in charge, taking over from Dean Smith, who was in interim charge for the final, I think it was eight games, 10 games of their Premier League campaign, which ultimately ended in relegation. He comes in from Manchester City, fresh from being Pep Guardiola's assistant, where they won, of course, the treble last season. Couldn't have been a better season for Manchester City. Interesting how he will go about things tactically. They've started with a back three in their first three pre-season friendlies. Um, and they've signed accordingly too with the likes of Connor Cody, who you'd imagine will slot in as the middle of that back three. They've got Callum Doyle, who was at Coventry City on loan last season to play in that left centre-back role that he thrived in for the Sky Blues last year. Slight concern with Cody and Harry Souter in the same back three, perhaps. I would imagine, personally, I would have said that Harry Souter would have been the perfect fit for that middle role. But it'll be interesting to see what their squad looks like. They've obviously sold James Madison. They've about to sell. It's not been officially confirmed at the time recording. Harvey Barnes. They've still got the likes of uh, Timothy Castagna, who's registered interest. Jamie Vardy. Yuri Tillemans has left on a free transfer. They brought a new goalkeeper in to rival Daniel Everson. So... It's always a bit of a risk when you bring in a relatively unknown quantity, a coach style manager rather than someone with with a real first team experience. But you would argue maybe they perhaps have a higher ceiling at times, but it is more of a risk, undoubtedly. And when we'll come on to some of the other teams that have gone maybe more tried and tested, Leicester City have really ripped the uh, ripped the playbook up and gone for something different this summer. They certainly have. They they have gone for something very very different and not something you'd necessarily expect. Obviously, having you know having had Brendan Rodgers at the helm for quite a few years, then obviously, you know they they they, they had links with the point in Jesse Marsh, but in the end went for Dean Smith. Obviously, another experienced figure, but it feels like they've done something a little bit different and a little bit new, and it's it's quite similar in a way in in some aspects to Burnley going for Vincent Company. You know, twelve months ago, obviously. Company had managed in in Belgium at Anderlecht after leaving Manchester City as a player. Maresca, you know, he's had a little bit of experience as a manager in his native Italy, but obviously comes straight from having been a, an assistant to Pep Guardiola. So obviously he's had a very good mentor at Manchester City. He's had one of the you know one of the best coaches in the world. You know, working alongside him day in day out, and God knows how many traits and hints and tips he's picked up from him. But of course there is an element of risk. 
You know, it's very different being a coach at a club of, you know, the stature of Manchester City to stepping into management in, you know, a league as unpredictable and as fierce as the championship with, you know, a team that is going to be expected to win the league this forthcoming season. But, you know, having read up, you know, I'm not I'm not an expert in Enzo Moresco. He wasn't a name that I was aware of until a few weeks ago. But having looked, you know, looked into the background of him, you know, he's he's not had a lot of management experience in terms of, you know, doing the job himself. He, he had a few assistant roles at West Ham, Sevilla, uh, then stepped into the manager's role at Parma uh, in Italy, but then went back to City and was assistant to Guardiola for a year. But as I say, you know, having been assistant to, to somebody of Pep Guardiola's ilk, you're bound to have learned a few, you know, a few things along along the way. So it's an exciting it's one. Assistant that didn't do too, but isn't doing too bad a job. No, you, <laughs> that is a very good point. To be fair, um, but let's be honest, Maresca, you know, he's coming in to a, you know, a, a big club with big expectations. This season, they are going to be expected to win the league. That's going to be the ambition of Leicester City. You know, they are a very big club and. To be quite honest, it's it's remarkable that they are in this position. You know, we are going to be talking about them on this podcast this year, but at the moment, it's quite hard to to pass a judgment on Enzo Maresca because we don't know an awful lot about him as a manager, and it's just going to be interesting to see how quickly Leicester adapt to what he's going to want to do. You know, we'll go into more depth on them in the one to twenty fours next week, but they're going to have money to spend. We know that they've obviously raised a fair amount of money through player sales so far, as you mentioned. They've brought in Connor Cody. Harry Winks is another player that have come in. You know, two big statement signings. There's going to be more of those before the window shuts. But, you know, just because they've got the money, it doesn't mean it's all going to come together and fall, you know, fall nicely into a nice, neat pile. It's got to be guided. It's got to be moulded. And obviously, Leicester, Leicester's owners feel that Enzo Maresca is the man to do that. But currently, it's quite hard to pass a judgment because we've never really seen, you know, what he's capable of as a manager. But I'm sure, you know, he'll be on the phone to Pep looking for a few hints and tips. He's already borrowed one of his players. Callum Doyle's come in from Manchester City on a season-long loan. I'm sure there'll be one or two more before the window's out. But, you know, currently it's it's in comparison to what Southampton and, and Leeds have done, which we'll talk about shortly, Leicester's probably the hardest one to gauge a judgment on at this moment in time. But I'm sure after we've seen, I don't know, maybe five, ten matches of the season, we'll have a, a clearer idea of what he's going to bring to the bring to the fold at the King Power Stadium. But currently, it's, you know, it's difficult to really put a finger on what he's going to bring to the club because he is quite an unknown quantity. So I think it's got the potential to, you know, be a, a very, very big reward. You know, he could slot in perfectly. It could be a seamless appointment, do really, really well. Or it could be a disaster. We just don't know at the moment. So it's impossible to pass a, you know, a concrete judgment and, you know, claim that I'm an expert because I'm not in Enzo Maresca. Whereas the other two clubs that have, you know, appointed new managers that came out for the Premier League, our knowledge of those two is a lot better. The Championship, they're known to the division. We know what they're about. But for Enzo Maresca, you know, it's a big challenge for him ahead, big expectations, but Leicester clearly think he's up to the task. Let's move on to the South Coast now with Southampton. They've, of course, appointed Russell Martin, eventually appointed Russell Martin after what was a very protracted uh, pursuit of the Swansea City manager. For me, I'm really intrigued with how this goes for Martin, in particular because it kind of feels like this is do or die time a little bit. There can't be any excuses here to a certain extent because he's earned a lot of plaudits for the style of play, which isn't everyone's cup of tea in terms of how possession heavy they are and how obsessed they are with having the ball. I quite like the style personally, but there has to be a purpose to it and a point. And at times at Swansea City, that was quite clearly lacking. We know that Sport Republic, as the owners of Southampton, lack clear identity and style. So I'm not shocked that they've gone for 
probably the manager in the championship that was most wedded to a particular style of play. If you were thinking across the 24 managers and going which team has the most or which manager has the most um, identifiable style that you could point to and go, that's what their team looks like. It was Russell Martin. So that doesn't shock me that that's what they've gone for. He's yet to finish above 10th as a manager, despite quite a lot of hype. And I'm not necessarily saying that as a detraction, I'm just stating fact. And last year, when he finished 10th with Swansea, which was in fact down to a very good run at the end of the season when they had little to play for, and they actually did that the season before too, when the pressure was off, that's the highest they've finished. Undoubtedly, it's an attractive style. The question to me is, can he make it a winning one and a consistent one? Because at Swansea, I'm quite happy to say that he was badly undermined on several occasions in the transfer market, behind the scenes at Swansea, it was not a stable club to necessarily step up from League One into the Championship. There were, there were more stable clubs out there that he could have made that jump to. And he still kept them in mid-table and still started developing young players, develop, developing the style, sold players for big money at the time. Flynn Downs, uh, Michael Obafemi, of course. So, And he didn't get a great deal of that to reinvest. Now at Southampton, he'll go into one of the biggest budgets in the in the club in the championship. He'll go to a club that will be expected to win, will be expected to be in and around the top two. And how quickly can he get that style into his players? Now he's had preseason, which is good. I'm intrigued. I think this is real. I don't really have strong. I feel like a lot of people have really strong opinions on Russell Martin. He's he's kind of like Marmite. You either love him or hate him. I, I don't. I'm kind of in the middle. I can see the question marks about what has he actually achieved and does the style of play lend itself to winning enough championship matches to win promotion and I can also say that it's very impressive to implement such a clear identity on a football team manage upwards which he had to do at Swansea and still be not performing underperforming I would say he was probably par for the course in terms of if we're talking just results which is not everything in football there, there are so many other tangibles than just results. So I'm very intrigued by this one. And this is his best chance to really prove that he is a top-end championship manager and should be managing in the Premier League. Yeah, I fully agree with all of that. I've got to be honest. And, you know, like you've said there, he, he, Russell Martin's very much a manager that's tied to philosophy, isn't he? He he, he went into Swansea having, you know, done quite well at MK Dons and obviously was, was tasked with continuing to play the Swansea City way, which is dictating possession, you know, bossing the ball and, you know, dictating games, simple as that, you know, it's the best way of looking at it. But obviously with Swansea last season, like you said, and we're right to point out, they did only, you know, finish where they finished because of a late run at the end of the season where uh, effectively the season was already over and they just managed to put a few results together. But oddly enough, I was speaking to a, a Sheffield United fan about this last week and, and he said on the couple of occasions he'd seen Swansea play them last season, very pretty on the eye, lovely, you know, lovely passing team, but no real end product. That was that was the big thing. And at Southampton, obviously, there's going to be an expectation for there to be end product. Southampton will want an immediate return to to the Premier League after you know a, another quite a you know surprise relegation last season. Obviously, being a you know a stable Premier League club for the best part of a decade. But I think with Southampton, the thing is they've already got some good building blocks in place. I think there's some you know ready-made Championship players there. 
particularly in forward areas that could, you know, step up and do a job. Their attack looks ready-made, it doesn't does. it? With Te- it Teller does. on the right, you could have Armstrong yeah. tucked in off the left and Adams Shea down Adams the middle. as well in there. You know, there's 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 quality in that squad. In, in most areas, but certainly up front. And, you know, they've brought in Ryan Manning. Uh, obviously, Russell Martin knows very well from his time at Swansea. Recruitment's been a little bit slow for Southampton so far, it must be said. it's It's not been, you know, all guns blazing, but I'm sure it'll pick up and there'll probably be a few sales here and there. But I think Russell Martin's a good shout. I really do, because I think Southampton, obviously, the way that they went through managers last season with, obviously, Ralph Hassenhutl going, they turned to Nathan Jones, that completely failed. Then, obviously, Ruben Sellers got the job until the end of the season. They're a club that needs stability. They need to rediscover an identity again. And Russell Martin will will bring that for them. We, we know that with, with his style of play, the characteristics he brought to Swansea, what he did at MK Dons as well in the lower leagues. So I think, you know, at this juncture, Southampton are a team that they need a bit of structure. They need a little bit of stability. And, you know, yes, there's going to be an expectation this season for them to, you know, to bounce back to the Premier League at the first attempt. But I also think at the same time, there's also, you know, the potential there for a long-term vision with Russell Martin. And it's easy to forget, Russell Martin's only 37. He's one of the youngest managers in the country. You know, and yes, you, you were right to point out he's not achieved anything yet in terms of promotion on his CV or anything like that. But, you know, at Swansea, was he expected to really mount a promotion charge? Not for me. No, Obviously, me they, they did, they did flirt with it a little bit. Stating fact, really, and just trying to play devil's yeah. advocate and look at both sides. Yeah, definitely. It's not really opinion at, well, it's not an opinion, it's a fact, but it's not something that I necessarily think should be a big issue. Yeah, and obviously now, whereas at Southampton, the expectation is going to be there. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an increased sort of pressure for him on his shoulders. He is going to have to, you know, deliver results on a consistent basis. Southampton fans are going to expect an immediate return to the Premier League, just like Leicester's fans will. So they're going to they're going to expect to be up there, and they're you know in and about the top two. When personally, I think you know the squad with one or two more additions, which I'm ninety nine percent sure will come. You know, we're recording this with, you know, the best part of 10 days of July left, give or take. Them additions will come. They will strengthen in certain areas. There probably will be a departure or two. James Ward-Prowse, will he stay? Will he go? Time will tell on that score. If he goes, it's going to generate funds to bring others in. But speaking about Russell Martin and him alone, I think he's, you know, he, he did an okay job at Swansea. He did an okay job, I think it's fair to say. I think he's earned this opportunity. And like I say, Southampton, they need somebody who's going to install an identity back into that football club after the way they went through managers last season. Obviously, a bit bitterly disappointing Premier League campaign. They obviously axed Ralph, uh, Ralph Hassenhutl quite early in the season. It backfired miserably. Nathan Jones didn't have the impact. Ruben Sellers, I think for him, to be fair, the damage was already done. You know, that the rot had already set in. It was going to be impossible for him to get them out of that hole they got themselves into. And so it does feel like a fresh restart. You know, they've had a relegation. It's disappointing. But at the same time, it offers the club a bit of an opportunity to, you know, just re- recharge and reset the batteries and, and go again with something a little bit different. And Russell Martin knows the league. He's had a couple of years in the championship. He's proven himself that, you know, he can get a team playing, so, you know, a good brand of football. Not always got the end product to go with it. But he's got a better crop of players at Southampton, certainly in, in, in forward areas, though, of course, he got excellent numbers out of Joel Pirro at Swansea. But at Southampton, like you said, they've got a ready-made attack there, presuming they all stay. You know, Teller, Armstrong, Shea Adams, you know, you, then, you, then you've got one or two others that can push him from midfield. They've got a couple of, you know, really smart full-backs should they stay. There's a lot to like about the Southampton team as it is now, though it does need new additions. And, you know, with a better quality of player, which he's going to get, 
Russell Martin could kick on as a manager. So time will tell. But personally, I, I think Southampton's long pursuit of him was certainly worth it. Yeah, I think so as well. Let's go back up north, Leeds United. Back after a three-year stay in the Premier League. Daniel Farker comes in and they are probably the club that have most gone for a proven promotion winner. Well, he's the only one with a promotion on his CV out of the three clubs. They, 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 for me, feel like the club that are going shit or bust a little bit the most. And that probably sounds a bit weird given the fact they've not brought anyone in apart from Ethan Ampadu at the time of recording. It's been more about outgoings for Leeds United, the likes of Robin Cott, Rodrigo, plenty of speculation that Jack Harrison will leave as well, uh, Mark Rocker. Most of these have gone on loan, Rasmus Christensen. And they've only brought in Ethan Ampadu as of yet, albeit for a £7 million initial fee that could rise to 10 I, I don't really have a great argument for this, but I have a few question marks with Daniel Farker. He did a fantastic job at Norwich, undoubtedly. Firstly, to come in and trim what was an incredibly bloated wage bill because Norwich had got themselves in a problem where they'd signed a lot of post-Premier League players. The wage bill was too high and they had to sell players. They had to get that down. And for him to do that and pick up you know, real bargains like Buendia, like Pukki, bring through the likes of Aaron's, Godfrey, Jamal Lewis across the back line. He did an amazing job to do that. And then to mount a relatively unexpected promotion charge that season, the first year they won it. I don't know if... I'm just convinced of it. I, I, I wonder if he had lightning in a bottle a little bit with the second promotion when they came back down from the Premier League because he still had the same core of the squad. They didn't spend enough in the Premier League. I think the, the pretty infamous quote from Stuart Webber's was that they went into, the, uh, went into a war without a gun. And then they came back down with pretty much the same nucleus of the squad. Very good in promotion. Again, Buendia was way too good to be playing at the level. And I just worried, did they have lightning in a bottle a little bit at the time? because they soon stagnated after that. And obviously the struggles last season were quite obvious. It was a squad that was really at its peak and went down so quickly after. Comes into Leeds United and I don't see those same sort of players. It's quite an ageing squad for the people. The people that right now that are in the squad and look like they'd be relied on were the players that Marcelo Bielsa relied on three years ago. Luke Ayling, Liam Cooper, Stuart Dallas... Um, potentially Harrison if he stays, Bamford. Now, of course, I'm sure they'll bring players in. I'm not doubting that. They'll need to in central midfield in particular. They look very light in that area. He deserves a lot of credit for the job he did at Norwich, but I just wonder, for a club of Leeds United's stature, could they have got better? I don't know. Maybe that sounds really harsh, but they've got lots to do still in the window to make themselves a force. And they are playing catch-up on the rest, given they've had to change ownership, delayed, obviously, the appointment of Farker. I feel like they are the furthest behind of the three pre- Premier, uh, relegated Premier League teams, in my opinion. I would certainly agree with that. And I kind of echo what you said at the very beginning, where basically I fear for Leeds this season, they're either going to be really, really on it, knocking on the door of the top two, or at the same time, I could see them languishing, you know, 13th, 14th place. I don't think there's going to be any sort of in-between for Leeds this season. I think it's either going to be a roaring success or a really disappointing failure. Daniel Farker, obviously, he's got two promotions on the CV. As you've said, both achieved with Norwich City. Really good manager at this level, proving himself, you know, two-time promotion winner. Regardless of what club you're at, it's not an easy task. 
I personally think it's a solid appointment. I think it's a good, you know, a good, wise, sensible move. Length of the contract was a little bit surprising. Four-year deal where, you know, you kind of fear that if he doesn't get them up first time, they might be, you know, prepared to pull the trigger very early doors. I feel like they want him to get them up and then they'll bin him off. Yeah, it does almost feel like that because Daniel Farker, to his credit, as much as he's done well, you know, in the championship, which he has, once he's made that step up to the Premier League, he's found life tough. But as a caveat, Norwich City, when they've got to the Premier League, have not chucked the money at it that a lot of other teams promoted from the Championship have done. So to be fair to Daniel Farker, he's you know he's only been able to achieve what he has with the tools that he's had available to him once he's got to the Premier League. So I think it's I think it's very unfair to judge him on his on what's happened at the top flight because you know at the moment we're talking about a Championship manager at a Championship club. And his record in the championship is very impressive. It, it, there's no two ways about it. He's got a good record at his level. Two promotions on the CV. You know, you, you can't, you know, you can't begrudge the guy that. He's done really, really well. I can't argue Leeds, with any of that. It's more a gut. Leeds, it's just a bit of a gut feeling for the reason. Yeah. Le- Leeds' squad, as you've raised some good points, for for all of the, the flurry of youngsters that are in there, I mean, I think personally, the, you know, we saw last season out on loan, the likes of Charlie Cresswell, Cody Drame, did excellent at Millwall and Luton, respectively. That they should be knocking on the door of that team this season. They're proven, you know, proven capable at this level now. They, I thought Creswell was superb at Millwall. Uh, Cody Drame got better and better as the the season developed at Luton last season. So they should be targeting first team places for me. But then you mentioned the old guard, the likes of Ailing, Stuart Dallas, Cooper, uh, even maybe even Patrick Bamford to a degree. He you know he turns thirty in, a, in less than a couple of months, and obviously. Patrick Bamford, there's obviously a conversation all the time about him where, you know, you either love him or you hate him, seemingly. So there does seem, you know, there, there is a need for a freshness to this team. It does need jazzing up in places. I'm sure there'll be one or two more departures yet as well. Cody, um, Cody Drame, I mean, um, Ethan Ampadu, as you mentioned, is the only new signing so far, but I think that's a solid, you know, it's a starting point. They have been slow out of the traps, but the takeover situation, of course, has impacted that. But it's a solid start. And I, I, and I do think if they can get the house in order and get some good additions through the door, which you would expect to come, and we mentioned at the start of this episode, didn't we, about Premier League low knees. You know, the Premier League low signings can be so influential for so many teams nowadays. And you can guarantee, you know, the pulling power of Leeds, the attraction of playing for Leeds in the Championship, one of the biggest clubs in the league, is, you know, it's going to be appealing to a lot of young players who are hungry to get out and get game time. So the squad will get better. It will improve. Daniel Farker, a good solid addition. You know, he knows the league. Two promotions, as I've mentioned. I personally don't think Leeds really could have done much better for, you know, the situation that they were in at the time of his appointment with the ownership issues. Just a little bit surprising on the length of the contract, because I think, like you've said there, if it goes well, he gets them up. I think there's always a risk that they could choose to get rid of him and, you know, bring in a more capable pair of hands in the Premier League. Obviously, as we mentioned, Farker, he struggled at, at Premier League level, but. This season, you know, as we speak, he's preparing for life in the Championship and he has got an outstanding record at this level. So, personally, I think it's a really good appointment. I think Leeds will be confident of achieving success under him. I'm sure they'll fully appreciate they need more additions. The squad, you know, it does need balancing out in place. It does need jazzing up as well. But, you know, as, as managerial appointments go for what was available to them, I, I don't think they could have done a lot more for what their respective target is going to be this season, which is, of course, promotion back at the first attempt at the Premier League. So I think it's a, a solid appointment. It's steady. It's sensible, you know. 
and it's got the potential for great reward if it if it goes well. So personally, I don't think Leeds could have done much better. But of course, there is the question mark of what's he done in the Premier League. Ultimately, though, Leeds are not in the Premier League at the minute. They're a Championship club, and Farker's record in this league speaks for itself. We'll go to Watford next, George. I'll let you kick things off. What are your first initial thoughts on the incoming of Valerine Ismail, last seen in the Championship with West Bromwich Albion? First thoughts, how long will he last? I suppose that's the question, isn't it, really? Well, Should yes. we have a sweepstake on that? Uh, I'm going October international break. That's that's quite positive, actually, for Watford. I like that. I going mean, as far as October. Far. If we went if we went the first international break, which is literally four games right. into the season, I think that would even be a record by Watford standards. You never know with Watford. But no, in all seriousness, um I think it's a solid appointment, to be fair. I think, you know, with Valerian Ismail, he, he you know, he did okay at Barnsley, he did, you know, massively exceed expectations there. West Brom it's it started off okay and then kind of fizzled out a little bit. But I think, you know, he's a manager that knows the league and I think that's important. But with Watford, it's just so hard to, you know, gauge a judgment because we thought they were going to trial something new last season with Rob Edwards. Then they got shut of him after 10 games. Felt like something a little bit new. And then obviously, you know, they, they changed things up. Chris Wilder eventually came in and finished the season with them. And obviously now we're at a point where here we go again. And, it you know, it just feels like a constant cycle with Watford where they're not happy with what they've got. But I think as solid an appointment as Valerie and Ismail is, and I think, you know, potentially it's got the opportunity to, you know, bring bring rewards. Recruitment so far has been a little bit underwhelming, I feel. You know, Watford, they're a team that's, you know, often bounced between the Premier League and the Championship in recent years. But this time, though, the squad looks the weakest it's been for a while. Obviously, Ismail Asar is still there. Didn't quite, you know, hit the, the peak of his powers last season. He did seemingly regress. This summer, obviously, so far, Tom Ince is, you know, we're only really the big name signing they've made. Doesn't feel you much confidence. Reese Healy's come in, obviously, from Toulouse, had a really good spell out in France, but his record in English football doesn't exactly inspire confidence. But of course, you know, new club, new surroundings, things can change quickly. You know, Drew Brackbomb's story last season proves that anything's possible. But, you know, on the face of it, I don't think the, the recruitment's helped Valerie and Ismail so far. But obviously, as we've said for other, other clubs in other cases, Things can change quickly, but personally, I think, you know, it's a solid appointment, but how long will the owners be prepared to let it last? That's the, that's the big question. The, the the big problem for me with this appointment is you, Watford are a club that obviously have a big reputation, as we've already joked about four times in this segment. And it doesn't really matter what I think of Valerie and Ismail. What matters is what, what do I think of Watford and... They've picked a manager who plays an incredibly specific and niche style of football. And therefore, if you want that to be successful, you have to build a squad to facilitate that. And Watford, of course, have got a bad habit of sacking managers three times in a year. So if you back him in the summer, and they haven't really at this point in time, although we're still expecting Sar to leave on top of Joao Pedro, so they should have some funds to spend. If they back him with the players he needs for this style, it could leave the squad in a right mess because what Watford have a habit of doing is lurching as well. If you think they went from um, Rob Edwards to Slaven Bilic to Chris Wilder, that's quite a jump between identities and managerial styles. Even when they got promoted, they went from Ivic to Munoz, which again, I would say are quite different styles. One manager is not necessarily going to want the squad that Ismail wants. And I think 
We saw that with Barnsley. Obviously, he was excellent at Oakwell, achieved brilliant things. But then he went to West Brom and he didn't quite have the right players and he was sacked probably a little bit prematurely in my mind, you know, six months into a four-year contract. But it wasn't working out brilliantly. So if he's given the right tools, it could be a success. But ultimately, if you put a gun to my head now, I'd probably lean more towards him being undermined at some stage by either the board or a lack of signings that fit his identity in quite specific style. Or the results don't quite follow straight away. He's hounded out by the fans. So it it could easily be a success. And I do think Ismail's a good manager for championship level. But I don't think this is the right fit, really, with Watford, based on what I've I've just said. So I have question marks on that one. I suppose, in a way, really, it begs the question, doesn't it? Who is the right fit for Watford? That's the thing, because in the last, you know, 12, 18 months, they've tried, you know, various avenues. Obviously, when they were in the Premier League, they, they, they tried Roy Hodgson out. They tested Claudio Ranieri. They came down into the Championship, you know, and then, then Rob Edwards rocked up and we all thought, Finally, a change in approach, a young upcoming British manager with a point to prove has earned the opportunity. They gave it 10 games and, and then seen enough. And then obviously they flitted through managers, ended the season with Wilder, as I said. And, you know, all of a sudden now they've, they've gone for another experienced championship head who on paper looks a good appointment. But are they going to, you know, supply him with both the time and the resources that he needs? And, to, you know, it almost feels like Watford really... You know, they're never satisfied with whatever they've got. They're not prepared to give anybody the length of time, you know, to try and implement a philosophy, implement a plan. So it'll be interesting to see how it works out. But I just think Watford are one of those clubs that is just impossible to predict because, you know, Ismail goes in there now, you know, he's preparing for the start of the new season in a couple of weeks' time. He'll probably be out of a job by October. And, you know, we're pressing the reset button again and again and again. It's just a continuous cycle. So... It's impossible, you know, to get, you know, any sort of gauge of what Watford are actually trying to achieve because they just won't let anybody settle into any sort of rhythm. But on paper, if Ismail's given the time, <laughs> yeah, if given the time at Watford, probably highly unlikely. But, you know, it, it could be of great benefit. But personally, and we'll, we'll go into it deeper in the 1-24s to next week, but so far, as we record this at the moment, recruitment is, is certainly underwhelming, shall we say. I think the best of the managerial appointments, George is at Swansea City with Michael Duff coming in to replace Russell Martin. Duff did a fantastic job at Barnsley last season, galvanising and stabilising a club that could have quite easily kept falling and falling after a pretty troublesome relegation from the Championship only one season after finishing in the playoffs. They were very unlucky not to win promotion against three clubs that all hit 96-plus points in Plymouth, Ipswich and then Sheffield Wednesday, who eventually beat them at Wembley in the playoffs. Had he stayed at Barnsley, I think they would have been favourites for League One, probably alongside Derby County, but I'd have probably made Barnsley my favourites for League One. The thing about Duff, which I really like, is he can adapt really well. He doesn't have necessarily a distinct playing style because he can adapt to the, the, the players he's got. And everyone talks about identity, and identity is really important, but I also think equally important on the opposite scale, is having someone that can work with what he's got. And we've just spoke about Ismail and how specific his style is. Duff's probably the opposite of that in the fact that he can come in and I don't think it will be the same football as Russell Martin. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but we're not going to see a complete conversion to route one football by any means. He's someone that probably plays slightly more direct at Cheltenham Town with 
with with respect, inferior players technically. At Barnsley, he could mix it up. They got really energetic runners in midfield with the likes of Luca Connell, Adam Phillips. Um, they were a good pairing in midfield. And they'd also got people who could mix up up front with James Norwood, who was quite happy to bash people about a little bit. And um, the other striker who could run in behind. So they got a bit of a mixture. So they can he can mix things up. They can they've got a little bit of everything at Barnsley. I think he'll come into a Swansea squad. Obviously, it depends what happens with Joel Perot. But I don't. I think Duffy's the sort of person that can go into a club, and he is the most important thing at the club. And I think that's really important because when the spe- speculation about Joel Perot and about other key players, Matt Grimes, it's important to have someone that can stable the ship. And I do think he is that figure. And I think he'll get the most out of what he's got, whatever that might be. And it's a club like Swansea that have been accused of, you know, undermining the manager with the, the transfer decisions. I think that it's really important. I think they'll be more, far more consistent than Swansea were under Russell Martin. Maybe the highs won't be quite as high. Maybe they won't win quite as many games, but I don't think they'll lose as many. I think there'll be more draws. I think there'll be more consistency. And you could see them building blocks to get, back into challenging for the playoff places over a few years under Michael Duff. So I'm really pleased with disappointment from a Swansea perspective. I think he was the best manager outside, you know, now that the league's reset with obviously McKenna and and Schumacher back in the championship, I would say he was the the best manager in League One and League Two, the best prospect that anyone could have picked up. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. He did an absolutely marvellous job at Barnsley last season. The way that, you know, he guided that club to... And within 90 minutes of promotion, obviously they were they were quite unfortunate that they came up against th- such three formidable forces in in Ipswich, Plymouth, and Sheffield Wednesday. Of course, you know set a remarkable pace in League One last season. But Duffy went in there, obviously having been poached from Cheltenham, where he got a promotion on the CV, and a lot of plaudits there. After I think it was five years he spent in charge at Cheltenham, which you know it's quite a lengthy amount of time for any manager these days. Um, but obviously at, uh, at Oakwell, he went in there, obviously with you know not. Not exactly many many hopes and expectations of an immediate return to the championship, but they were oh so close to achieving it, and that was all down to him. And I think Barnsley will really, really feel the loss of him this forthcoming season. It's you know we we talk about clubs, don't we? Have you know obviously have great players within their ranks, but nine times out of ten, the managers are their biggest assets. And and I said it you know countless times last season with Coventry City and Mark Robbins, who I'm sure will be a club that we'll touch on quite a lot in the one to twenty fours next week. But Duff, you know, he went into Barnsley and like you said, he had a varied style of play. He could mix it up, but there was always a, a always a thing that you knew with Barnsley. They were going to press you. They were going to harry you. They were going to try and, you know, play nice passing, progressive football. You know, you mentioned there the likes of the midfielders of Luca O'Connell like to get the ball down the deck and play football. Swansea have got similar types of players that will look to do that. And if he can, you know, get the energy levels of these players up. You can guarantee that Swansea will go into games with a high press. They'll make things difficult for the opposition. And, you know, they will be a real, you know, a nuisance, if you like, for, for teams, whoever they play, home or away. So I think it's got the potential to be a really, really shrewd appointment this, you know, this, this forthcoming season with Michael Duff at Swansea. He's earned the right to, you know, managing the Championship for the first time. He's worked his way up from League Two, done League One. Now he's getting a chance in the Championship. Obviously knows the league inside out from his playing career at Burnley. So, you know, he, he's not exactly a stranger to this division. Obviously, as a manager, it's very different. But as a player, he knows it like the back of his hand. And he's earned the right. Like I say, he's had, you know, two very, very good stints at, at Cheltenham and then Barnsley. And I think Swansea, potentially, you know, Joel Perot, obviously, the big question mark is, will he stay, will he go? And 
Obviously, ongoing speculation is more than a month till the transfer window closes, and that will probably rumble on right till the day either the window shuts or he does leave. But recruitment's been it's been steady. Three new faces through the door so far. Jerry Yates, one of them from Blackpool, and I think personally that is a really good signing. I, I think that's got the potential to really reap a lot of rewards. Personally, I, I'm a big fan of Jerry Yates. I liked him when he was at Rotherham. I'm just well say, I completely disagree, and I think he's really overrated. No, I'm I'm quite a fan of Jerry Yates. You know, he, he got a good good haul of goals last season. I think it was 16 uh, in he's league so and cup. Streaky. I think he's so streaky. Maybe so, but I think Michael Duff. You know, he's earned the right to try and get a tune out of him. You know, after what he did at Barnes against all odds, it could be a shrewd addition. And uh, personally, you know, I, I might have proven wrong by this. You know, nine months down the line, come May or whatever it is. It might be a flop, but personally, I, I welcome it. I think it's a really smart addition and I think it's got the potential for really good rewards. But going back to, you know, Duff and Duff alone, I, I think it's a really good appointment. I think for Swansea fans, it's exciting. Obviously, they've been used to a Swansea City way down the years. You know, so many managers have come and gone, but they've maintained that progressive possession-based style of play. See, Russell Martin was, you know, you know, hell-bent on, on playing that way. Duff, I think, will be the same, but just with a, maybe an added injection of, you know, the pressing game out of possession. So I think it's a really good appointment. And Duff, you know, like I said, uh, you know, a, a couple of moments ago, he's earned the right to get this opportunity at championship level. And Swansea, you never know if they, if this pays off. Twelve months down the line, eighteen months down the line, whatever they could they could be laughing, you know, at the rest of the league having not, you know, seen the potential of this guy because Michael Duff, realistically, in management terms, he's still relatively young. He's only forty five. And, you know, like I say, he's earned, he's earned the opportunity to, to manage at this level after what he's done at Cheltenham and Barnsley. So, really interested to see how this one plays out. But on paper, you know, looking at it, I, I think Swansea have hit the right notes going for him. Another unknown quantity at Cardiff City, George. Errol Bullet is the man at Cardiff taking over from Sabri Lamushi, who was let go at the end of his contract last season. Did a good job of Lamushi. I thought it would have been a good idea to keep him on. We know absolutely nothing about Errol Bulut, let's be fair. He's an unknown quantity in English football. He's got ex- plenty of experience in Turkey. Probably the most eye-catching club he's been at is Fenerbahce, who are obviously a huge club in Turkey. Going to be playing 4-2-3-1 by the looks of their early pre-season um, matches. They've got a squad that fits that sort of shape. I think there's there's good tactical fits there. I think when you look at the potential attack, they've definitely upgraded their options and they that was their biggest problem last season. They couldn't score goals. Well, you're probably looking at a likely front four of um, Callum Robinson up front, maybe. Yaku Meite on the right, Colin Grant on the left and Aaron Ramsey as a number 10. That is a massive upgrade on what they had last season, which was Keon Atete relatively unproven and Callum Robinson trying to pull Rabbit out of the hat. So if he can keep them more sturdy at the back, I'll be honest, going into the summer, Cardiff were probably right up there for one of my picks for relegation. But I definitely think they've gone up rather than down in my estimations based on the business they've done. It's hard to have a real judgment of how Bullet will do. We've seen a lot of unproven managers come in and do really well. We've seen a lot fall and flop. We can only judge it really on what he does once he's the championship season underway. What I can what I look at now is what sort of manager is he? Does he have the players that'll fit that style? And I think they've recruited pretty well for the formation and shape and sort of style he wants to play with a double pivot. I do think they've got solid enough championship players that can work in that um, in that sort of system. And the players they brought in clearly strengthened an area that was lacking, which was up front and in attack. They've added creativity. They've added goals. I particularly like Carl and Grant. I've always thought he gets a rough ride at championship level to say he scored 
18 championship goals, not last season, the season before. Yes, he's had, he didn't do a great deal last season, but he wasn't played a great deal last season. You know, he nearly went to Swansea in January on loan. So I, I think he's a really good um, pickup for, for Cardiff. And I feel more positive about them now than I certainly did two months ago, six weeks ago. Yeah, definitely. To, to be fair, I, I feel a lot more positive about Cardiff City than I did probably a fortnight ago. The way their transfer business has really escalated in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the you know as we recall this, it was last Saturday. Obviously, essentially a super Saturday for Cardiff City. Carlin Grant announced in the afternoon. Three or four hours later, Aaron Ramsey returns You'd be home. Gutted if a... you were Carlin Grant, you think I'm coming as a pretty big money yep. signing. You know, it's going to be a lot of fanfare. Three or four then hours the later, prodigal son returns a few hours yep. later. Yeah, literally a few hours later, that's what it was. Aaron Ramsey was announced at eight o'clock. Carlin Grant was, I think, about four hours early at four o'clock. I think it was something like that. But you know, I, you know, it's it's you, you've hit the nail on the head there with Errol Bullet. He's it's impossible to pass a judgment on this guy. He's he's not somebody we we you know we know of in this country. He's a complete unknown figure. But you know, there's been a few that have come in as unknown figures in this league and and done pretty well. I mean, for one. You know, you think you think back several years, Carlos Cavalier at Sheffield Wednesday, he came in and he did a very good job overall, didn't quite get them over the line. But, you know, his first season, he was a complete unknown quantity. He came in and he got the hours to Wembley in the playoff final. Another one, I think, you know, obviously was known, you know, quite famously as a player, but John Dahl Thomason at Blackburn Rovers last season came in, did a very good job. And there, there are several others that, you know, I can't quite think of to hand, but, the, you know, there's several other examples that have come into this league as a completely Wagner unknown Parker. figure. Yeah, David Wagner as well, who's another one, you know, thinking on the German trend. So, you know, there there is potential for it to work. It, it could be a disaster like we've seen with so many others in the past, but, you know, you never know. Every managerial appointment, regardless of what they've achieved in the past, where they come from, is a gamble. We know that. Just like every transfer is, there are no guarantees in this sport. But, you know, like you said, they've, they've brought in players to suit the system that he prefers. Aaron Ramsey... If he can stay fit, and that is, of course, the, the big challenge for Aaron Ramsey. We know his injury, injury history and the unfortunate nature of what's happened to him at certain points in his career. However, if they can keep him fit and get a good tune out of him, what, what a player they've got for this level. We know what he's capable of. He's a fabulous footballer. Carlin Grant, I think he's one of those players that if you can get a tune out of him and give him a little bit of love and a little bit of care, you know damn well that he's going to be a handful at this level. He's another one, you know, similar to Callum Robinson that, knows this league well. He will deliver the goods at this level, provided he stays fit. And you I know, he's you're looked- absolutely right, just to highlight on that point you've just made there. He's the sort of player that if you... My management's key with Carl and Grant. I think yeah, if you do... I agree. Tell him, you're, my, you're my main man. Here's put my an arm around him. You give him some love, put an arm around him. I think he can be a real real uh, asset at championship level. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I you know, I saw, obviously, the, the when Cardiff announced Carl and Grant, I was on Twitter at the time and I put it out on the podcast Twitter page and... I thought to myself at the time, I thought, smart signing. If you can get him, you know, get a tune out of him, you can get him playing, get the best out of him. You've got a a really established, talented championship footballer there. So I think there's a lot to like about Cardiff. You know, Jaco Mete's come in. Not the the sexiest name at this level, but he knows the league. He's got, you know, a relatively good record at this level with Reading over the last few years. So I think personally, I think there's quite a bit to like about what Cardiff have done. And certainly in the last two or three weeks, they've really stepped things up. You know, Icky, Icky Ugbo's come in on loan as well. Potentially, another, you know, another player that has got the potential to thrive. And I think with Cardiff and, you know, it's obviously you, you can't really compare a player and manager sort of thing. But 
on the point of an unknown quantity coming in, I think Cardiff fans found out last season that you don't have to have heard of a name for them to be a success. Nobody had ever heard of Sorry Cabba when he came in in the January transfer window and look how good he turned out to be in the second half of last season. So it just goes to show, even if you're you know familiar to the championship or not necessarily a big name, it doesn't mean that you're not going to thrive at this level. So I think Cardiff can be pleased with what they've achieved so far. You know, Aaron Ramsey is obviously the headline addition. But Carlin Grant, another really good addition. Ugbo comes in. Mate, beefs up that attack. Like you said, their biggest issue last season was scoring goals. There'll be further additions. They do need to strengthen, you know, a handful more areas. But, you know, the base is there for, for them to hopefully put, you know, the woes of last season, for well, certainly the majority of last season behind them. I thought it was a little bit harsh when Lamushi moved on. But, you know, things happen for a reason. He, he came in, he achieved his brief, but it's a new season. You know, it's a, it's a fresh start for Cardiff. And I think, in a way, a fresh start is what they need after, you know, a, a troublesome couple of years. Obviously, they've, they've had a lot of problems off the field. But now, hopefully, they can look forward on the pitch. And, you know, the transfer, you know, activity so far has been impressive. But obviously, the jury's going to be out on the manager for a while yet. Let's see what he can do. But at the minute, you know, you can't really, you can't criticise me. You can't really praise him because he is a completely unknown quantity. Sheffield Wednesday, George, probably had the most... Turmoil, so in the in this in this closed season, there's a few candidates, but Sheffield Wednesday certainly the most surprising change of the summer that we're talking about after the stability that Darren brought more brought to the club, got them promoted through the playoffs in the most dramatic of circumstances, overcoming a four nil deficit against Peterborough. Cisco Munoz is the man tasked with coming in at Hillsborough. Obviously, hasn't been seen in English football since leading Watford to the Premier League and swiftly getting sacked in the Premier League, which is not really much of a slight on Munoz, if we're being honest. It's been a, a summer of uncertainty. There's been one new signing, which was bringing Rhys James back permanently. Good signing, having done well on loan last season from Blackpool. But most of the headlines have been negative and most of them have been created by the owner, Dave Ponchanceri, who has previously undermined the football club, having his accounting error led to their points deduction that ultimately got them relegated from the Championship last time around. We've not heard a lot from Chancery. I think a lot of that is credit to Moore's um, upwards management. And it's a new dawn at Sheffield Wednesday. They are behind everyone because of the playoffs, first and foremost, because of the change of management and everything that's followed from that. In terms of Cisco Munoz coming in, as I say, hasn't been in the Premier League since taking Watford up. It's always good to have a promotion on your CV, first and foremost. He's the first manager... Um, that Sheffield Wednesday have had in a while that has got a promotion to the Premier League. And when you look at some of the managers we've spoken about quite glowingly on today's podcast, they don't all have the same CV that he can point to. Certainly as a player as well, very, very well respected. But I think there is a feeling amongst Watford fans in particular that he probably came in at the right time to improve the spirits of what was an underperforming group and unlocked their potential rather than his coaching or tactical acumen making a huge difference to how they played. They played in moments quite a lot. They scored a lot of goals, but when you've got an attack with Joao Pedro and Ismail Assar, you don't need to be the most succinct, um, connected team going forward. You just need to be able to get the ball to the players at the right time. And I think a lot of Watford fans, that's been their sentiment towards Munoz. I think he'll do a lot to keep the spirits up in the camp at Sheffield Wednesday. I think 
he'll probably do well to keep Chancery in his box to a certain extent. But regardless of the manager, when you look at Sheffield Wednesday, the biggest thing they've got to do, they've got to get some players into the into the building because they are way behind everyone else. We record after they've just been beaten 4-0 in a pre-season friendly in Spain, which pre-season results mean absolutely nothing. But it's quite remarkable how a club probably had the best feeling around it since getting to Wembley in 2016 and losing out in the playoff final to Hull City to within two months, six weeks, feeling quite toxic and negative again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, where to start? Sheffield Wednesday, let's be honest, the, the, the manner in which they got promoted last season, it was it was remarkable, wasn't it? It was nothing short of fairy tale stuff. Obviously, they were 4-0 down to Peterborough United in that playoff semi-final first leg. They came back, produced the unthinkable, the impossible. Obviously, edge past them via a penalty shootout in the end, and they come back from 4-0 down. Got to Wembley, played Barnsley, and, and secure promotion with literally the last kick of the season. It literally was the last kick of the season when Josh Windass buried that excellent header at Wembley. Owls fans walked away from the National Stadium that day, you know, obviously beaming with pride. They, they felt like the club was on its way back again after a couple of years in the turmoil. Um, and, you know, they, they were riding the crest of a wave. There was there was reports that Darren Moore was, was getting, you know, targets lined up quite promising names as well. Brooke Norton Cuffey was one name mentioned quite early doors in the window. And then obviously Dapon Chansiri announced that, that Darren Moore had departed. I think it was the 19th of June when he left. It was, it was a Monday evening. I was actually at Old Trafford for the, for the England game that night. And I saw it on one of the TVs on the concourse and I couldn't believe it. I, I was absolutely stunned when I saw the news that Darren Moore had parted company with Sheffield Wednesday. So that came as quite a shock, obviously then passed another fortnight. Uh, before a, a, you know a successor came in, there were so many names linked with the job that the bookies must have been making an absolute killing on it. The amount of names that went to you know top of the list. Paul Ince was up there for a while. Uh, Dean Smith was another one. There were several others from you know overseas, and then eventually uh, Dapon Chanziri settled on Chisco Munoz. So it's it's quite interesting that they've gone for him. Like you said, he's got a promotion on the CV out of the Championship. Achieved it with Watford um, a couple of years back, give or take. I think it was 2020-2021, COVID hit season. Um, but like you say there, he had a very, you know, a very good pool of players at Watford. His male Asar in particular was arguably in the, in the form of his life that season. And, you know, he played a very key part in that. Of course, a manager, like any club, plays his part. Of, of course, Chisco Munoz did that. He... He had to guide it. He had to build it. He came in, and, and you know, he came mid-season and generated a feel-good factor around the club. And you know, players were playing with smiles on their faces. The fans warmed to him, though, of course, they were locked out of the stadiums at that point because of COVID. But you know, he got them over the line. He got them promoted, and I think they were about 14th and 15th when when they sacked him in the Premier League. But a lot of work for fans saying, though, they were you know, the league table made relatively good reading. The football wasn't great, and they they said tactically he was out of his depth. But at championship level, his record does speak for itself. But the big caveat here is he's got a very different pool of players that he's inherited at Sheffield Wednesday to what he had at Watford. This Wednesday squad, you know, it's it's an aging team. It's arguably probably got the you know the oldest average age in the division. They're incredibly light on numbers. I think it's 17 senior players as we record this. They've technically not really signed a new face. Reese James was already there last season. That they are significantly playing catch up, and the the recruitment side of it, you can't blame the manager for this. This is not his fault. 
also worth recruit. pointing out they lost the sporting director throughout the summer as well, the head of recruitment. Yeah, David Downs, he left and went to Blackpool, and another key blow on top of losing Darren Moore. And it just feels like, you know, that the euphoria that was created by Wednesday's promotion campaign has just been absolutely ripped away. And it almost feels like Wednesday, in a way, are entering this this season as after coming off the back of a relegation, the mood is so low. There is just absolutely no, you know, there's no excitement for the new season. The, the lack of signings is becoming increasingly worrying for the fans. And admittedly, things can change quickly in football. Things can change very, very fast. But, you know, as, as I sit here and, you know, talk about this, the situation looks bleak. There's no way of dressing it up. You you can, you know, you say, you can say stop being negative, don't be negative, you know, try to be upbeat. The club's just got a promotion. It's impossible at the moment. That that's the sad thing. A few months, ago, you know, a few weeks ago, everybody was, you know, riding the crest of a wave associated with that football club. There was so much excitement. Now, though, the mood is just absolutely rock bottom, and you know, a lot of fingers are being pointed at the owner, Dapon Chansiri. A lot of the headlines over the summer, of course, have, have related to sky high ticket prices, ten year season ticket offers, Carlton, you know, Palmer. Uh, Carlton Palmer, and quite a dramatic. Well, like, Leighton Palmer, as the chairman said, but, you know, Chisco Munoz's opening press conference at Hillsborough on the 5th of July, Dapon Chansiri used that as an opportunity to, you know, go after Carlton Palmer rather than, you know, sort of look to the future with a new manager sat beside him. And, you know, there is a lot of angry Wednesday outs out there. They, they are getting increasingly frustrated and after what happened in the playoffs, the, the drama, the energy that created, Wednesday shouldn't be in this situation. They should be looking back to being in the championship, the division that they've you know they've been absent from for two years. And all of a sudden now, there's you know there's strong talk of an immediate return to League One. And on the flip side, you've got Ipswich and Plymouth, the other two newly promoted teams who are you know having very good summers in terms of recruitment. They've both you know strengthened with quite impressive signings so far. And whereas Wednesday they've not added a single new face, and you know technically with Reese James being a you know a low knee last season that's returned in terms of an actual new face in the last one and a half transfer windows, Sheffield Wednesday have technically signed one player. That was Aidan Flint on loan back in January. So the fans are increasingly frustrated. It's easy to understand why, and at the moment it's it's quite hard not to feel sorry for Chisco Munoz to be fair because he's come in. And he's been he's been dealt a bad hand already. It feels obviously things can change quickly, but at the minute that the you know the from the outside looking in at Sheffield Wednesday, it, the situation looks increasingly bleak. That's a positive note to end the first podcast of the new season on, isn't it? Just thank you to those who've listened. I hope you've enjoyed the recap of the new managers coming into the championship. We will be back with our one to twenty fours, the highly anticipated season opener next Monday so make sure you get yourself subscribed follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 and you'll be able to listen to that as soon as it drops at around half past seven on Monday so make sure you're all tuned in and geared up ready for that we'll have plenty more as I say across our socials over the remainder of the championship transfer window and with the season kicking off we're both very excited to get our teeth bringing you weekly podcasts and moving forward with hopefully better coverage of the league that we all know and love. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.